The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. And that's it. All right. Oh, awesome. Cool. Well, I get to do something really special before the message, too, and that is Servant Spotlight. So we do Servant Spotlight every, every month, and this month, uh, they aren't even down here because they are doing what? Serving, as they always are, and we love people to serve no matter what your age is, your experience, or any of those kinds of things. Um, you can be good-looking or not so good-looking. It really doesn't matter. You're welcome. And I say that because I have actually seen uh, a church where they wouldn't let anybody on the stage unless they had a certain look to them. Um, and so we believe that God wants to touch and use everybody. So don't worry about who you are, how you're made. God made you that way for a reason because he wants to use you as you are. And the two that I am going to call down is up in the sound booth, David Jensen, Bella Jensen. So these two are amazing, and you can find them working. Usually when I get here, they're already here. They're already serving. They're already working. And then afterwards, when I leave, a lot of times they are still here doing stuff. So thank you guys so much for all that you do. And um, I got two gift cards for David. Um, and Bella, we just want to give you another hand of applause. Um, okay. Yeah, okay. There you go. These two are awesome. They serve, and they, it's not just because their parents make them do it, because they go above and beyond. They do extra, and they really have a heart for people, and thank you guys so much. So give them another hand. Um, so, I mean, they're everywhere. They're in the kids' room. They're in the kitchen helping set up. They're in the sound booth. I mean, they're literally everywhere all the time doing something, and so it's just really cool. And I'd also like to honor Melicio. Where's he at? I know he's here because he's worshiping. Can Melicio stand up? So, Melicio has done many. I don't have a gift because this one's last minute, but Melicio has done, done so much. He's painted around the building. He's done so many awesome things. But today he did the greatest thing. Um, it was his first time on the worship team. That was awesome. But that wasn't the greatest thing. The greatest thing is I walked down the hallway and... Someone told April that her hair looked fantastic today, and right behind her, Melicio steps forward and says, and Pastor Andy, your hair looks great too. <laughs> In all the years, I have been waiting for that, and it has come. Praise God, right? We don't walk by sight, right? Melicio is complimenting me by faith, and I appreciate it. So let's pray. We're going to get into God's word. And uh, just really let it minister to us through his spirit. So, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be here. Lord, your word says, God, that the Holy Spirit would come as a teacher and as a counselor and would lead us into truth. And so we ask that you would help these uh, truths to get past our mind, Lord, and into our heart where they can really grow and change us, Lord, and cause us to live and to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week was Easter, and Easter's the most attended day of church. And Dave, you could turn me down just a tad, I think. Uh, it was the most attended day of church uh, every year. And that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. But most of the time, and that's not the case today, but most of the time, the week after Easter is one of the least attended days. People, they came and they got their church in on Easter. 
And then the next week, it's like, okay, we got that in. We got all the family there. We made everybody look nice. We wore our special outfit. Now we're done. So we're taking the next weekend off. But Jesus isn't doing that. Jesus is still alive. He's still at work. But the question arises that he came, he died, he comes out of the tomb, and then what happens? Like, so now what? Because what really happened was that he left. How many of you guys have ever put your hope in someone or put your hope in something and been so excited and you get all rallied up and then, boom, they're gone? Where did they go? They're out. I was talking to, well, my wife was talking to, and she shared with me uh, a lady who had attended a church uh, for quite a while, and they were attending, and they were getting money for a building, and they were doing all these things together, and then COVID hit, and the pastors left with all the money, gone, (laughs) shut down all of the accounts, all of their phone numbers, all the contact, they just shut everything down, and we're gone, see ya, and uh, they were just out. And they had been getting together. They'd been doing stuff for, I think, a couple of years, like building towards this thing. And then that time came, and they were just out the door. So sometimes people get our hopes up, and then they disappear. Is that what Jesus did? He left. Why didn't everything just come to an end? Why didn't he just reveal, open the heavens, and everything happens, and boom, we're done. He rose. It's over. And yet the story continues. Typically, if you ever watch a movie, right, the big climactic part happens when? At the end. That's when the hero saves the day. So Jesus comes through and saves the day, and that should be the end of the movie. I mean, that's a pretty big, big moment. Unless there's something bigger coming. Right? Unless that really wasn't the biggest moment. And the Bible talks about that. Jesus said that when he left, he said, it's better that I go away, right? Because when he leaves, the Holy Spirit will come. And he says that we will do greater works than he did. Jesus wasn't even looking just at his resurrection as the climactic, amazing, ultimate part of the movie, of the story of God. He was looking at it as a piece that turns the narrative from sin and destruction and devastation to life and restoration and reconciliation. But the climax was coming, so we're going to get in the Word, and here's some things that you have to do once Easter's over, once Jesus has risen from the dead. What's Step number one is that you have to Make a choice. When you hear the gospel message, when you hear that Jesus came, that he died for our sins, that he rose again to bring us new life and to break us free from all of those things that bound us and the sin that held us, and that he had victory over that, then you have to make a decision. Every person has to make a decision. Will you accept what he has given you or else will you reject it? And that's on the individual person. Your parents can't make it for you. Your kids can't make it for you. Your spouse can't make it for you. Your pastor can't make it for you. There's no one that can make that for you. It comes from your own heart. It's a relationship between you and God where you identify and say, like Jesse did, I'm going to have humility, and I'm going to say, you know what? I've been trying to do it on my own. It doesn't measure up. It falls short. I'm a sinner. A sinner just means you're falling short of God's design, of God's plan for you. I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I I don't know how to get back up to the measurement of God. I can't get there. I can't get back to what I was designed for. I don't know how to make it right. I don't know how to be reconciled and in good relationship with God. I can't do this. And we come to God and we say, do you know what, Lord? You are the one that did it for me. You paid the price for my sin. You defeated these things, Lord. You cleaned my slate. You restored our relationship by removing those things. That's step one. If you choose to reject it, I don't have a message for you today. Because the message I'm going to bring is for those that accept it. If you reject it, the Bible is clear, 
I know this doesn't get preached a lot, but the Bible is clear that we live once in this life and then after it comes judgment. And we'll be judged on our own merit. If you're confident in being judged before the living God that created heaven and earth, who is perfect and pure and holy and has no sin, the Bible says in him there is no darkness, there is no shadow of turning, there's no shadow at all. He is complete light, complete purity. If you are confident standing in front of God, then you're on your own for that. I am not. And I come through the, through the sacrifice of Jesus, and I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful for it. But let me just ask you, if you're so confident in standing before him who sees everything, then why are you not as confident just posting your selfies and your videos without first touching them up, without fixing the lighting or slapping on a filter or cropping out a little bit of the frowny kid that wasn't as happy for the family or whatever the case is. If you're not fully satisfied presenting your natural self to natural people, how can you possibly be satisfied presenting your natural self to a supernatural God? You can't. But if you've accepted and you're saying, I'm gonna, I, I accept that, I want to move forward, what did he come for? What does he want me to do? What has he done for me? That's the message today. And so here's some words of Jesus. We're going to learn from him, not my opinion. We're going to try to learn from Jesus. Before he died, he gave some clues. First of all, he said, put your hope in heaven. John 14, 1 through 4. It says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So right there, he's saying, you're living here now, but I'm going to leave. And when I leave, I'm going up to heaven, and I'm going to prepare a place for you to, to come. In other words, first of all, you're welcome. He wants you. He wants you to be there. He loves you. And so he's inviting you. He's saying, I'm making a room. Well, I don't even know if I want to go yet. I'm making a room. I'm making a room because I believe it's going to happen. I'm here for you. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. So first of all, if we have accepted Jesus and we're moving that path, right? He's risen. He's, he hasn't gone away. He's gone to prepare a place. And he's coming back. He's coming back to get us. He's coming back to bring everybody to heaven. That's a follower of him. He's coming back. And so he's given us that promise. And that's different than the world's way of living. Culture lives for now because now is what they have. They live for their house, they live for their stuff, they live for their pleasure, they live for their retirement, they live for all these things. And it's okay to have a house, I do. It's okay to try to plan for retirement. I do, sometimes. <laughs> and then usually my wife wakes me up and says, get back to work. That's how it is. <laughs> but these things happen. I saw a meme the other day It said, if you want to get your wife's attention, lay on the couch and act like you're not busy. Works. <laughs> Works in my house, but... The world is so consumed with now because now is all it has. This is not the most significant part of our existence. I know we say that. Oh, I know that. We die and we go to eternity. No, think about it. Eternity. This is such a tiny, tiny, tiny piece of your existence that we're going to move on to something that will never end. 
And so how much energy and thought and time do we put into making this life comfortable, this life good, this life great? This and God's saying, you know what? My culture is different. We're going somewhere else, right? How much work do you put into your campsite? Well, some. Some more than others. But you aren't pouring a foundation, right? You're not trying to go down to the river and hook up plumbing. At least I don't think you are. Why? Because you know it's temporary. But your real home, the longer lasting home, the more significant home is the one that you are actually in, in your neighborhood. Well, God looks down at here and he says, you know, you're, you're pouring these foundations, you're doing these things, but that's almost like a campsite because I'm taking you somewhere that's really permanent. This is temporary. And we have to live that way and think that way and act that way because that is the reality if we can get our mind in it and get our heart in it. So John 14, 15, this is more of Jesus, is that the second thing we're supposed to do besides shifting our focus and our mindset to this heavenly destination and this expectancy that God's coming back for me and wants me to live this way in order to honor him, to get things ready for him to come back for. Then he says, well, how do you do it? Well, John 14, 15 to 17, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Thank God. Thank God, I need a helper. Does anybody in here need a helper? Amen. It's like you're trying to be like a, a good at your job and, and your boss is always on you and things are difficult and it's a trial and it's a struggle and you're there. And it's like, man, it's just, oh, I don't even want to go in today. I don't even want to work. Today. But God, give me peace or give me strength. Give me help. Maybe you're in sales and you can't get the sale closed. You're like, God, I'm going to not be able to pay my bills. I need help. Maybe you're in addiction. you got to come out of that, and you just keep struggling. The desires are coming. You're like, oh, I can't stop. But you turn to God and say, God, help me. And he brings his peace, and he calms you down. We need a helper. And God's promised. He said he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Not for a little while. Forever. A permanent helper. I need one all the time. Right now, I've got multiple helpers in my house. I've got... One helper that's going away in a couple of weeks to go be helper with someone else. So we a helper to them, Krista. <laughs> Apparently you raise them, they grow up, and they leave and get married, and you can no longer keep them around to do stuff for you. But she'll probably visit and do chores and stuff once in a while just for memories. And I got a teeny tiny one who always wants to help. Always. 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 I can't do anything without help. And she's learned the word, so she follows me everywhere. Help. 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 I'm like, I'm in a shower. I don't need help. <laughs> she's banging on the glass, pressing her face. Help. No. Stop it. Stop it. Call my wife. She's like, I'm in the room talking with one of the older kids. Well, of course you are. Of course you are. Because I'm up here with help. She knows how to work the system. But he sends us a helper. Praise God. We need those. To be with you forever in the spirit of truth, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. This is something that we as believers can receive. Is God's spirit that instructs and guides us because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells in you and will be with you. You know God. His spirit's alive and at work in you. 
It tells you, you don't, don't, do, don't do that. Don't, don't. Why did you do that? And you're like, well, because I wanted to drive. Well, let him drive. He's a helper. Drive in Miss Daisy. You're supposed to just sit there, be driven. Let God direct you. We're supposed to be and make disciples. Okay, so we have this heavenly expectation. We're gearing things towards that, leading people to Jesus, filling up the bus, because someday he's coming back to drive us home, and we don't want empty seats. We're working towards that. We do it by the power of his spirit. And he says here, be and make disciples, Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some of them doubted. Now, this is after his resurrection. He comes back and shows himself to them. Some of them doubted. And Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. How much? All. all. How much is all? all? It's not like a teenager's all, right? All right? Say, so did you get all of that done? All of your homework? Yes. <laughs> That's interesting, because I just got like five messages from your teacher. And they all say that you didn't. Right? So this happens. Okay? This is real life. But this, this is an all. This is a biblical all. And a biblical all means all. Right? All authority. Which means that when something happens in the world that you don't like, who has all authority? God does. Well, that's not right. Because bad things happen. That's true. That's true. And in all authority that he has, God uses that authority to give freedom and to give choice, and sometimes things happen that we don't want to have happen. But all authority is his, and we know we're under his sovereignty, and that we know when the time is right, in that moment, that God needs to come, that God will show up, that he'll meet our need, that he'll help us, that those who cry out to him, that he will hear them. The Bible promises that. We're supposed to make disciples. Here goes on the rest of that same passage. Therefore, go, because he has all authority in heaven and in earth, and because he's risen, because he's defeated death, this is his instruction. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go out and make disciples. Well, what's a disciple? It's somebody who lives in the disciplines of faith. That's what disciple means. Disciple is discipline. If you, were my, if you were my disciple, if you were Art's disciple over here in boxing, guess what you would do? You would learn to be a boxer. He's my boxing disciple. He boxes. He's my boxing disciple. He does gymnastics. Well, gymnastics are great. But you're not his boxing disciple if you're a gymnastic person. It's if you're following what they do and learning to implement it and to do it yourself. He didn't just call us to be saved. But like Carrie said, we were saved for a purpose, for a reason. It's to be a disciple. It's to be like Jesus. Well, what was Jesus like? Well, first of all, he didn't like sin. He died to kill it. So if you have sin in your life, go to God and say, God, help me get this out. I don't want this. You freed me from this. I don't want to disrespect, Lord, what you've done for me by continuing in this. Get it out. Get rid of it. But then he also, the Bible talks about that he became a servant 
right? That he came down from the glory of heaven to here on earth and he became a servant. That he loved and served those around him. That he laid himself down as a sacrifice. That he cared for others. That he ministered to others. That's what a disciple does. Did he worry? There's no record of Jesus worrying. He specifically says in Matthew, he says, don't worry. A command, not a suggestion. Don't worry. Right? And so when God says that, and there's so many of us that worry and we think, oh, I'm not like that guy that's addicted to alcohol. Or I'm not like that lady who does this. But I worry every day all the time. Well, he says, don't worry. Well, I don't know how to do that. Well, that goes back to living by the Spirit, by the helper. It's going to God and saying, God, I have worry. Help me. Help me to focus my mind and my heart upon you. But we are making disciples, which means we become more like him, and then we show others how to become more like him. And we try to live it out. That's the goal. That's the plan. That's what we're here for. It says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he's come to us by his spirit, and he lives within us, and he helps us, and he's with us to do what? To live like him, to be a disciple, to touch the world around us, and to lay our life down that way. That's what he's called us for. Part of that, John 20, is to become ministers of forgiveness. This is a tough verse. This is going to really challenge some people, I think. But listen to this. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They're under persecution. They were afraid to be, be caught. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said as he spoke. First of all, the best way to bring someone peace when they're in a locked room afraid is not to just appear on them. <laughs> it's kind of, it doesn't make sense, right? You'd think he'd have, like, slowly come in with some quiet music. No, he just appears. Peace. Oh, gosh, peace. Thank you. But this is what he says. Peace be with you. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. Why? Because he knew that they would need to be reassured, and he was okay with that. It's okay if you need to be reassured, reassured in your faith. God will reassure you. Ask him for reassurance. He'll reassure you. It doesn't mean you have lack of faith. It just means you're a person. He showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. So now their joy comes, the continuation of that passage. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now listen, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So the point here is that he wants you to do, again, the same thing that Jesus did. It's why he sent, sent us here. So then he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, and this is the part that, that's challenging. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's a pretty heavy, pretty heavy weight. This isn't my words. This is Jesus. And I know we can split it a hundred ways with theology and philosophy and all these kind of things. But let's just take it at face value for a minute. If you don't forgive, the person's not forgiven. What did God do for you in your brokenness, in your struggles, in your darkest times, in your biggest regrets? What did he do for you? I know what he did for me. He forgave me. I remember the first time I really saw, man, it's me. I'm the screw up. 
My, my marriage was on the, just the edge of divorce. Everything was a mess. Our first kid was on the way, and I was nuts in addiction and all kinds of craziness. My wife's like, I can't keep a kid here. We, this ain't going to work. And God showed me in an intervention thing with a bunch of people there praying for me. They said, would you just ask God to show you if there's anything you've done wrong? I said, sure. If that gets me out of here, great. I just started that prayer, and for the first time, just boom, the blinders came off, and I just, for 40 minutes, I bawled and bawled and bawled. It's not coming out of my nose, hyperventilating. I think I'm allergic to repentance. It was like my whole body started freaking out, like anaphylactic shock. And I'm like, it's me. But at the same exact time, I felt the weight of that. I felt the strength of God's love coming in and saying, I, for, I forgive you, and I'm going to help you. That's what he did for me. So what we need to do for others is the same thing. We need to bring forgiveness. We need to bring help, care, reconciliation, and bring these things to them. John 21, 18 to 23 says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do. Now, this, this is important because this is hard for us to grasp for sure. One of the things that we're supposed to do while we wait for Jesus to come back, is be content with his plan for our life. This is totally, 100%, absolutely, in every way, completely counterculture. Because our culture strives to always do what? Make the life that we want. That's what it's all about. Well, we want to do good. We want to be good stewards. We want to develop. We want to do everything that we can. But at the same time, God has a path lined out for us. God has a path that he wants us to go on, and God will keep us there. He says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself, and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will, so you say, when you get older, towards the end of your life, this is what's going to happen to you. You will stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Now, this is confusing to us. Well, what's he mean by that? Peter knew exactly what he meant. History tells us that Peter was crucified just like Jesus. The same guy who denied Jesus three times before he went to the cross became a martyr and died for his faith. So Jesus is breaking the news to Peter. Hey, not only am I leaving, but you're going to get crucified like me. That's not good news. (laughs) Not what I signed up for. I signed up for the blessing. I'm in the blessing line. I think you missed me. I'm over here. No, 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 you're in that line over there. And it it is a blessing to to suffer for the cross, to suffer for me, just as I suffered for others. But this is what he tells him. And now Peter, he didn't like it. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Follow me anyway. But Lord, I thought I was going to have a mansion and a huge house and a bunch of cars, but now I'm just living in this small place and I've got... Lord, I thought I was going to have lots of money and be able to travel, but now I've adopted a kid and I'm starting over. Lord, I thought, but the, uh, I had a plan. You changed it, Lord. And he says, follow me anyway. I thought I'd have great health, Lord, but I got a bad, I got a bad knee. I've come down with some kind of sickness. I've got something in my nerves. There's something going on. I didn't think, Lord, I've got arthritis. Like, what's going on? I thought I was going to be healthy and be able to do all these things. Follow me. Follow me. I'll show you why you have that. I'm going to use that. Follow me. Just keep coming. Just keep coming. Peter's death glorified God because this is a man who changed from denying him three times 
to when he was crucified. The historians say that he was actually being led to be crucified and he demanded that he be crucified upside down because he was unworthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus. That's horrifying and glorifying at the same time because something happened in this fearful, timid man who's only worried about his self that he became so radical for God and for the message of the gospel that he was so transformed into this other person. That glorified God. That grew the church. So God has something in plan for whatever your worst situation is that you're going through. There's a reason. God's going to use it for his glory. Maybe you were, you know, abused as a kid. I was abused as a little kid from a relative outside of my home. God's used that in some ways. I know last week we did all those testimonies. We had 30 people. How awesome was that? 30 people share their testimony of what God's done in their life. And I know that that night I went to, uh, you know, that night I talked with somebody. Well, you know, that night they talked, but a couple days later I talked to them. But one person left that thing, and they had heard someone share about how their dad had hurt them and that they could never forgive them or pray for them, and that not too long ago, just maybe a few months ago, they had finally given that to the Lord, and they had begun praying for their dad and forgiven them. And this other person had heard that on Sunday morning and specifically said to themselves, "Uh uh-uh, I would never do that. And by evening, we're sitting with their spouse, talking it through, and praying for their father. Forgiveness came, a release came through testimony, through this openness. That's what God wants to use us for. And so as our testimony comes out, that happens. So Peter turned around, and he saw behind them the disciple that Jesus loved. Do you ever feel like God loves somebody else more than you? Ever feel like that? Oh, man, loves that one. Wow. Wow, look what he's doing for them. <laughs> Amazing. It's awesome. Well, Peter felt that way. He says he looked at the one that Jesus loved, the one who leaned over to Jesus during the supper. So he leans over on Jesus and lays on him while he puts his head on his shoulders. Like, there he goes again. There's John. Always getting in close. And he says, Lord, he said, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? And Jesus replied, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? So Jesus had two paths, one of greater suffering and one of living a long life that he already had marked out, both for their own purpose, right? And it didn't matter if the people liked it. They had to become content in what God called them to. And so you have to have a contentment about what God called you to. You know, there's some pastors out there, they have a church of, you know, 20 people, 100 people, 1,000 people, 10,000 people. And if you're in pastoring, you, people get so discouraged or bothered or frustrated. Oh, man, my church isn't the size of that. God doesn't love me. He's not blessing it. Be content in where you're called. Because if you aren't, you miss the people that God's called to you. Right? I don't get into that because I love the people. Like, I love you guys. I love doing life with you. I love doing faith with you. I love growing with you. I love seeing your gifts and your abilities grow and and see what God's using you for. I love seeing a stage up here with like 10 people on it, learning to worship and learning to use their gifts for God. I love seeing all of that happen. And so I'm content here. And if things grow and change, it's more people saved. Praise God. But I'm not going to be discontented. What situation do you have where you need to look at God and say, God, I'm going to be content where I'm at? 
content with what I'm going through. Our biggest call in all of this is to become an ambassador. Here's 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Does it say he is a recreation? Does it say he is a renewed creation? It's like when you buy something online and you go there and there's like renewed, right? This is renewed or it's new, right? Is there a difference? Right? Refurbished or new? Difference? Yeah. One's cheaper and not worth as much. God didn't make you cheaper and not worth as much. You're not just refurbished. You're not just cleansed off. You know, I brought a couple things to illustrate this. Um, somebody gave me a Texas mask. It has to be fellow. Oh, Brandon. I see one of those guys. As if this was my life before Jesus. This was my sin, right? All the stuff that I've done. H-E-B, stuff's delicious. And I just had made a mess of myself, right? Just a big, nasty mess like that. I look like this every day because Kira makes me look like this. <laughs> Yesterday, I thought I looked nice in an outfit, and my son says, nice fit, Dad. I thought he was talking about my body, and I go, what do you mean? He's like, your clothes. And I'm like, close. And then two seconds later, he says, but your shoulder's a mess. And my shoulder had all kinds of chocolate and garbage all over it. Why? Because I got a baby. And she <laughs> eats M&Ms and then shares them with me. And so this is me, right? Now, here's kind of a, a, a common misconception about being a follower of Jesus and a disciple. Is that God comes in and he cleans this. Makes me just like I was before. Just before I sinned. I'm, now I'm just like that. All clean and wonderful. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? Not just cleansed, not just washed, not just put back as you were before you screwed up. New. New. Some of you need to hear that. Whatever you had going on in your life before Christ is not just being remade, it is being discarded. Because you're new. I'm not just a renewed, recovering addict. I'm new. I'm not an addict. I'm not just a recovering social anxiety person that struggles with all my life and I used to hide in the closet and I just try all the time to get out of the closet because I'm being renewed. No, I'm new. I want to be around people. I want to love people. I want to talk to people. I want to share my life with people. Why? Because that's not how I used to be, so what's going on? I'm new. I'm different. And so what God really wants to do is he wants to take all of this off of us and just completely take it away and be gone. Don't worry, I'm only taking off one layer, Jason. If you all remember his message from a couple years ago, got a little spicy. I'm going to do that. Now, how many of you all moved to Texas in the last couple years? Yeah, lots of people, huh? You all got your Texas shirt yet? That's just a little blood of Jesus. That's not going to hurt anybody. <laughs> Unless you want me to take my shirt off, which I will refrain from. I better unbutton one button. I'm going to put this on, but this is, it's a whole new thing. 
right? Something totally different that God wants to do. And the key about what he wants to do is when he puts himself on you, right? What, what would this shirt say about me if you saw this on me? Texas. Just that I'm passing through Texas? Just that I kind of like Texas? That I just maybe moved to Texas? Or I'm Texas? Right? I thought I'm going to throw that on. And then I like, t- I like sneakers. I'm from the Northwest. Right? It's either that or else it's sandals with socks. That's how they roll there. Because they want it to be warm, but it never is. So they just wear sandals and socks. But I would have on all the stuff, right? From Texas. <laughs> and I would have the boots. Right? I'm getting completely and totally redone. I'll be looking like art here in just a minute. What? Because art was born and bred, right? Texas. I'm getting close. I'm going to have to have the boots on. I'm going to have to have the shirt on. I'm going to have to have the hat on. Right? I got to do it all. Why? Because I'm fully what? Texas, right? So sometimes we get in this idea that God wants to just renew a little bit of us, wash our shirt, clean us up a tad. And God's looking down and he's saying, I don't want to do that. That's me. Texas. Bring out, bring out the bulls and the horses. All right, I'm ready to go. My wife likes cowboys, so I'm just getting ready for date night early. You stay back there. Stay back there. Stay back there. You better get a picture because this ain't happening again. Y'all can thank Fellow for this. He got me this shirt. And he said, why don't you wear it sometime when you're preaching? And I'm like, nope. And here I am. Thank you, Fellow. But you got to go. I look like Texas now, right? Would you be surprised if I said, hey, y'all. Why don't you come visit me in California? You'd be like, from California? You don't look like a Californian. Why? Because what I, I'm, I look like a Texan now. Right? Yep. Okay, let's finish this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, right? This, check this out. The old passed away. The old is gone. It's been taken off. It's been thrown away, discarded. It's not just renewed. It's not just refreshed. It's not just changed. It's gone. That's not me. It's over. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled, that's bringing back into relationship and making things right, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's another clue on what we're here to do. Bring reconciliation, forgiveness, bring people back to God. It's reconciliation. So that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's what he was dying for. Not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So he gave it to us. He entrusted it to us. What are we doing with it? Not just as a church. As individuals, what are you doing with it? Do you live your life working towards reconciliation with others and towards reconciling others to God? That's the mission. That's what we're supposed to do. Well, no, I'm busy. I've got a lot of things going on. I'm I don't have time to really sit down and have coffee and talk to that person about what they're going through. I don't really have time to have people in my home to try to get close enough to them to figure out what's going on. I don't have the money. I don't have the... This is the mission. And he's able to give us what we need for it because he called us to it. Reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against him and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through the pastor... 
God making his appeal through the class teacher, through the evangelist, through all the women. I say that because a lot of times men are the last ones to say anything. It doesn't say that. Through us as believers. He says, so we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He's talking to people. He's saying, look, this is what you have to do. Be reconciled to God. So here's the thing. If you're an ambassador, your job is to do what your leader is sending you to do. And that's it. It's not to mix in your own opinion and your own thoughts. It's like, well, I'm coming from America. I'm going to meet China, and we're going to talk about, you know, trade. And this is what Biden told me to say, but hey, I got some other ideas. How about we trade? You come back and say, hey, I worked out a deal. This is it. Is that what we sent you to do? No. Okay. How long do I have my job? Fired. It's not to represent my own ideas, thoughts, and opinions. It's to represent his plan and his desires. And what's his plan and his desire? He just said, ambassadors of reconciliation. Our plan, our desire is to come out under God now and to represent his desire to be reconciled to people and to point to Jesus. Okay, I asked this question at our community group. This is a tough question. In the last six months, have you shared your opinion more or your testimony more? Personally, online, wherever. Have you shared your opinion more or your testimony more? Because last Sunday we had 30 people share their testimonies and I immediately started hearing about people that were set free from bitterness, from fear, from all kinds of stuff. Chains started breaking. Stuff started coming off. The Bible says in Revelations they're overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their opinion. Testimony. We are so tempted in this culture, in this life, to try to overcome all the difficult challenges and struggles that we see by constantly sharing our opinion. Things shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't work that way. This is the way we should do it. This is the way it should be done. You ought to do this. All of our opinions, maybe your opinion's great. But if you want to overcome, if you want to set people free from spiritual bondages and you want to bring them into reconciliation with Jesus and to have them be connected to the God who can change them from the inside out, here's the method. We become ambassadors. We teach and we show and we model the love of God and we invite people into that and point them towards what it means to be a disciple, to let go of sinful activities, to let go of some of the stuff they're doing, to embrace being a servant and loving the ways of God. But it's all through this mode and this heart of reconciliation. So I would just challenge you, we're going to close and pray, I would just challenge you guys as a church to just make a commitment. Say, you know what, I'm going to do this for the next one hour. I say that because that's going to be hard. But let's just say for the next week. The next month, start wherever you can and just say, I'm making a commitment to share my testimony more than my opinion. Right? Could you do that? Or maybe just this. I won't share my opinion again until I've shared my testimony once. Start small. Because locked up inside you, the Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels, in just these old clay earthen vessels. There's a treasure. What's the treasure? The treasure is the testimony of the Holy Spirit at work in us to make us new creations through Christ. 
we all have that testimony to share. Amen? Let's, let's pray. Father, I pray right now that you would, Lord, help us, God, to, Lord, do these things, Lord, that we've just read, God, to have our focus on heaven, Lord, to live a life empowered by the Spirit, Lord, to live a life that looks like you as we become disciples and teach and lead other people in your ways. Father, help us most of all, God, to be ambassadors, Lord, for you, God, to open up our lives and share this message of reconciliation, Lord, to, to become transparent with people around us, Lord, to share with them about who you are, not just what we think, but who we know. God, that other people could come into relationship with you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for being here. I love you guys. Um, if you're new here, head down the hall and spend some time in the fellowship hall down there. Don't take off without that because friendship and connection is a huge part, huge part of being involved in a church and God's family. Amen. the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com slash give.